Hey, we're starting a new series today entitled Made to Worship. Turn to that person next to you and say you were made to worship. Tell them that. Say you were made. Turn to the person on the other side and say you were made to worship. As, uh, as we jump in, I, wanna, I have a key scripture. I want you to look at this with me out of Psalms chapter 100, verse 1 through 4. I want to read this to you out of the New English translation. Psalms 100, 1 through 4. Shout out praises to the Lord, all the earth. Worship, everybody say worship. Worship the Lord with joy. Enter his presence with joyful singing. Verse 3, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we belong to him. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Giving thanks, praise his name. He made us. We are his. Somebody say amen. amen. We were made to worship him. I love how this passage lays it out. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Worship him, O oh ye people, because he made you. You are his. You belong to him. Have you ever seen someone misappropriating something for what it was made to do? You know, that's where we get the word abuse, abnormal use. So drug abuse, alcohol abuse. And so, so that we know that there are drugs with medication that help us, but when we abuse them, abnormally use them, not for what they were created to do, we abuse it, if you will. And so when I think about my life and I think about your life, I think about the people of the earth, especially those of us who call Jesus our Lord, we were made to worship him. When we don't worship him, when we're not engaging with him properly, we are abusing that which we were created to do. Every now and then my wife will grab a tool that is not to be used the way she's using it out of my toolbox. And I get extremely frustrated. And I say, baby, that's not, that's not how you use that. I find butter knives all over the house where she has unscrewed something with a butter knife. Baby, I, have a, I will give you a screwdriver. We have bought her her own her own tool bag. She's actually become an amazing uh, mechanic. I mean, she can fix out anything these days. Once she learned to use the right tools for the right job. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. You were made to worship. You were not made to be a drug addict. You were not made to live every day striving to get more money so you can get more stuff, so you can get more money, so you can get more stuff, so you can lose your marriage and your, and your family over it. You were made to worship Jesus. Would you say that with me? Say, I was made... To worship the Lord. And so with that being said, let me give you a little bit of foundational understanding as we go into this. We're going to take three weeks to kind of unpackage all of this because at the end of this, my purpose that the Lord gave me that would transpire for you and for me is that each and every one of us come into a more deeper relationship. I'm hoping that this series will ignite in you an understanding that worship is more than just singing some songs on Sunday. That worship is so much more than just musical instruments. That we were made to worship him. So let me help you understand first and foremost what is worship. Worship is ascribing worth to something. It's ascribing worth. When you worship, when you give something the value that it deserves. There is nothing more valuable in life than the Savior, Jesus Christ. There is nothing more valuable in this earth, on the planet, in the, in the celestial spheres than Jesus Christ. He is worth our worship. Are you with me? Say yes. 
It is to ascribe that. It's to say that it's valuable. It's to present myself in a proper position and understanding that you, oh God, are the value of life and that I get to engage with you. I ascribe worth to you. I don't just sing songs. My life, my life do I give to you in an action of worship. Are you with me? Say yes. So this is what worship looks like. I like what Dr. Eddie Hyatt said one time. He said, when we pray, we are preoccupied with our needs. When we praise, we give thanks, we are preoccupied with our blessings. But when we worship, we are preoccupied only with him. You and you alone are worthy of all, all praise, glory, and adoration. You are the love of my life. It's interesting to watch what Americans worth what they give value to. They'll give more value. And, and you can tell by what you spend your time, effort, and energy. I tell this story all the time. Uh, in those years that I traveled from church to church and preaching kind of as a traveling minister and, and big conference, I would always get people that would walk up to me afterwards and say, man, you are really passionate about Jesus. And I would explain to them, yes, I was wicked. Jesus transformed my life. He is the love of my life. He is the pearl of great prize. He is the essence of my, uh, uh, of my devotion. He is the direction by which I give every part of what I'm going to do throughout the day. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And they would just kind of look at me. And they would say, wow, that's really neat. And then I would then, unbeknownst to them, take them down through a series of questions to find out what they loved more than anything else in life. And it was amazing when I would hit that. It's amazing when you love something, you can't stop talking about it. When you are enthralled with something, it, it is the center of everything by which you operate throughout the day. For example, those who love fishing, it's amazing. I would be talking to these guys after a service, and they would say to me, now, 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 now let me ask something, son. Let me ask something, son. You from Louisiana, right? Yes, sir, I'm from Louisiana. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I hear y'all catch some big fish out there. Let me tell you something, son. I got a 17-foot skeeter with 150 Evan Root on the back of that bad boy. I can't. And it's amazing how exciting they get as they tell me about their boat versus how when they walked up to me initially and they said, hey, that was, good. that was a good sermon. That was a good message. That was a good message. And I would ask them, do you love the Lord? Yeah, I love the Lord. Yeah, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I love him. He's good. He's good. He's been good to me. But then when they start talking about the thing they really love, how their, how their energy went up, how their um, emotions begin to be stirred, how they would then explain to me how much money they have spent on the thing that they love. I wonder how much do we as believers really worship the Lord our God, give him the worth that he is valued for. Are you there with me? Say yes. And so as we jump in today, what I want to do is I want to take you through a little bit of Bible training. There is this piece in Bible study, we call it the law of first mention. I've shared that with you before, and that is when you want to find a doctrine or theology or a concept in the Bible in its purest form, you go to where it's first mentioned in the scripture. You go where it's first mentioned. So with that being said, I want to go to where the word worship, especially in the King James Version, is first mentioned. When we first see the word worship, and it's found in Genesis chapter 22, Turn in your Bibles there, put a turn on your Bible app. If not, I'll throw it up on the screens. But as you're getting ready to go there, let me just help you understand what has happened and give you a little bit of, uh, of storyline before we get into Genesis chapter 22. This is going to be the passage about Abraham. Now, prior to this, prior to this moment about worship, 
People have worshipped the Lord. We see people worshiping the Lord. We see Cain and Abel bringing their sacrifice. That would have been worship. We see, you know, that obviously the different ones, uh, you know, engaged with God. We find that, you know, Enoch walked with God and was no more. He obviously was worshiping. But there was no word worship mentioned in the Holy Scriptures until we get to Genesis chapter 22. And as we jump into Genesis chapter 22, again, let me set the scene. Abraham has been approached by God, um, I think in, in like Genesis chapter 12, God comes to him and says to him, I want to make you a great nation. Your people are going to be my people. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and come with me, and I'm going to show you a land that will be yours, and your people will be as broad, as broad as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand on the seashores. I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abraham and Sarah... At the times, Abram and Sarai, they follow the Lord to a distant land. And as they do this, they start this journey, Abraham's 75 years young. Come on, folks. Come on. 75 years young for all you guys who got a little bit more uh, you know, maturity, a little bit more wear on the tire. 75 years young when he launched out to follow God and to the place that God had for him. And as he launches out to do that... Abraham, as you many of you know, Abraham is not able to have kids, and his wife is not able to have kids. At 75 years, how is God going to make them a great nation if they can't have kids in their old age? He's got to reproduce through them somehow, and some of you know this whole storyline of faith journey with God as God promises them a child, and from that child will become grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and then a great nation as we now know it as the nation of Israel or the Jewish people. And so at 75 years young, he takes off on this journey. And for the next 25 years, next 25 years, he does not see the promised plan of God come into effect. 25 years. He's 100 years old when God says, now. And his wife, who's 90, then becomes pregnant with Isaac. There's a whole other set of teachings on this for you and my, my life. But as he moves into Isaac coming, the promise coming, he then is birthed, and we pick up in Genesis chapter 22. This man has been waiting on this promise for 25 years. This man has made, take, tried to take shortcuts, ended up with an Ishmael. He has lived in, he's had these engagements with God, with angels, saying, don't quit, don't give up. I'm going to do this thing through you. He's walked through fear. His wife is 90 years old when she gets pregnant, and all the 90-year-olds in the house said, oh, no, no, sir, no, sir. No, sir. All the 100-year-old men in the house said, we don't have any of those, by the way, but if you were here, sir, I would hope that you would not get a 90-year-old pregnant uh, just because I don't want to help you with that process as your pastor. And so, so you got a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old, and can you imagine buying car seats for the first time? Think that through for just a little bit. Think back, they, 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 they're trying to figure out, do they, I mean, I don't know, does she nurse? Does they buy formula? What do they do? Do they, you know, do they, it's kind of like first-time home buyers at, at 90. I mean, they've got a child now. So, so this whole process has become so miraculous. And then in chapter 22, let's pick up there, in verse 1, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Verse 2, then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. I don't think you guys read that with me properly. Take your one and only son and do what the pagans do. Give me a human sacrifice. 
I want you to kill the reward of your faithfulness. I want you to murder the promise that I promised you, then gave to you, and now I want it back. I want, I want you to kill it. Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Verse 4, on the third day, Abram looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Right here, we will worship and then we'll come back to you. This is the first mention of this word worship in the Holy Scriptures. It's not that they were singing songs. Come on, somebody. It's not that they were, they were dancing around the throne of God. It is in this moment, come on, of pain, of difficulty, of confusion, of are you serious, God? How can you be God and ask me to do this? It's in this moment. Imagine the emotional state of this man as he has walked for three days looking at this boy, this promise, wondering, Lord, are, how is this going to happen? And he gets to the moment where he can actually see the mountain that God was showing him where he was going to sacrifice his one and only son. And as he gets to that place, he stops and he says, hey, guys, y'all stay here, and me and Isaac are going to continue forward, and we're going to go up there, and we're going to worship. We're going to give God his worth. We're going to show God his value. We're going to give our lives. We're going to give what we are to God as an act of worship because he's God and we are not he's in control and we are not because we surrender to him he doesn't surrender to us are you tracking say yes this is what worship looks like see we have regulated worship to a Sunday morning and 22 minutes of song singing and friend that is not worship that's a beautiful piece of worship It's wonderful but that is not worship Worship is when you and I lay everything at his feet and say you are worthy of it even if I don't like it, even if I don't feel it, even if I don't enjoy it, even if it's painful, you are the pearl of great price. You are the love of my life. You are God and you alone are God. And every day throughout the day, I will ascribe to you the worth that is of your value. Friend, when you and I get to that place, what will happen is we'll start growing in relationship with God. This whole process of worship is so that you and I grow in relationship with God, to know our God. How many of you guys just want, I don't want to just go to church and hear sermons. I could care less about hearing another sermon. I don't want to sing another song. I want to know God. Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know him and somehow attain to his likeness. And he says, and I recognize there's going to be some fellowship of suffering. There's going to be some fellowship of suffering like Ms. Jamie preached last week because in that fellowship of suffering, there's a reward on the backside of the suffering. And so I'm willing to take on what Jesus took on so I can have the reward of that suffering with him. I understand there are going to be hardships and difficult times, but I want to know him and somehow obtain to his likeness. This is Philippians. This is Paul speaking. And he says, and then also I want to know the power of his resurrection. I don't want to live little trite Christian life. I don't want to raise up a church that's got a bunch of little trite Christian people who come and they get their little feelings met, you know, for a moment and they come every now and then and they feel a little good because they put a little something in the basket, you know. I want to be around men and women who know their God. And when God speaks, they say, oh, I know him. And when, he, and when he's not speaking, they say, oh, I know him. And they know how to engage with him. They know their God. This is Christianity. Christianity is not going to services and hearing sermons. Christianity is you and me knowing our God. 
I want to know God. I want to know him. I want to know my creator. And the reason why the world is not interested in the church is because the church doesn't know it's God. And the reason why we don't have power to overcome anything is because we don't know our God. Our God created everything that you know. Our God will supply all of our needs according to his riches, not this world system, not democracy, not a republic. Our God shall supply all our needs according to his riches. But when you don't know your God, when you have no relationship with your God, then you and I are remiss, and we're like, we're, we're, we're like blind people out in darkness trying to grapple our way through. But friend, I want you to understand something. You can know your God, and one of the key vehicles of engaging and knowing your God is worship. How to do that. And so in this moment, he says, we, we're going to go worship. Y'all stay here. So me and Isaac, we're going to go worship. Picking back up now in verse 6, and Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went up together, or went on together, verse 7, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the, father, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Can you imagine that? Now, many scholars believe this, this gentleman, Isaac, is somewhere in his 20s. So he is... He is man enough to do whatever he needs to do. I remember being in my 20s. I remember having abs. They were magnificent. I didn't have to do anything. I could eat pizza. I could eat cake. And I just had abs. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'd play basketball in the gym. I'd be the only white dude in there. But I'd play all day long, all day long. And they were like, man, that white boy can play. I would play ball. I had muscles. Accidentally, I had muscles. I didn't even know I had muscles. I was in my 20s. Anybody remember those days? Those are good days. You 20-year-olds, hold on to them. Now's your time to wear your bikini, sweetheart, because you don't want to do that in your 40s and 50s. I mean, some of y'all need to stop that, by the way. I mean, leave that for the 20-year-olds. I don't know. And so, and, 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 and I remember, this boy is in his 20s with a man who is now somewhere 120 range as well. And so you got a picture. Abraham is not running up the side of a mountain. <laughs> Sorry, that thing. And he's like, you carry the wood, buddy. Okay, yes, sir. He's got the wood fire and he looks up and he goes hey pops where's the lamb that we when we make our sacrifices where's that at and Abraham replies the Lord will take care of it look what he says well, uh, verse uh, uh, verse 8 Abraham answered God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering my son and the two of them went uh, and the two of them went together went on together verse 9 and when they reached the place God had told him about Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I would imagine at that moment, things became clear to Isaac. I don't know, as a 20-year-old, looking at my 120-year-old aging father, if I'm not thinking, this is dementia. There is something happening here that needs to be dealt with. Think about the worship that this young man is willing to give to the Almighty in surrendering to what I would think in his carnal mind is this is crazy as a loon, and that you're going to let him bind you up, tie you up. I don't think that the 120-year-old could wrestle the, the 20-year-old down enough to take it from him. I think the 20-year-old had to say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I willingly climb up on this thing. I want you to think that through for a moment. He, at any moment, he can just like whop him one good time. 
lay him out and go running home, Mama, Daddy crazy. He lost his mind. But he understood something, and that is that his daddy knew God. And he wanted to know the God of his daddy. And so it didn't make a lot of sense to him. But the engagement had to have some type of trust level that most of you and I wouldn't even be able to have in the way that we live now. And he continuing on. <clears throat> he said, he, then he reached out his hand. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood, verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. What did he do? He reached out his hand, took the knife, and I don't imagine it looks like this. I imagine he's got it like this, and he's about to stab this kid through the heart. Now, can you imagine what that felt like? I want you to think through the effort and energy. One of the things that has been the most difficult as pastors and, and those who love our community is working um, in situations where children have been abused. Um, there was a season in my life I was just like, if you abuse a child, you should die. That was just kind of where I landed because, because it's you know, a, a precious, innocent child and, and, you, and you abuse them. And like Dr. Field told that one lady, you do it because you can. But one day she's going to grow up and you're not going to be able to do that to her. And I can't imagine Abraham, after those 25 years of believing and believing and believing and quitting on believing and believing again and thinking, God, maybe, maybe he missed God and, and, oh, wait, God shows up here. And then finally this son, supernatural, his 90-year-old wife is pregnant. Then she gives birth supernaturally and she doesn't die and the baby doesn't die. I mean, think about the medical ramifications of a 90-year-old giving birth. Think about this child's safety, it even, you know, at, at the first few weeks or days or hours of being alive on the planet to a 90-year-old. Think about her body's ability to care for them. all this whole process. And now here he is some 20 years later, and he's, 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 he, he couldn't throw the first pitch with him in the glove because he can't even get that old arm moving. You know, he's, he's just, I mean, he, he just watched this kid, and everything, everything was for this promise. And now God's saying, stick the knife through his chest. Look what it says. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. I bet it was like, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Only reason the angel cried out to stop him because he was doing it. This wasn't like, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Are you there? Are you there? I'm, about to, I'm getting closer. I mean, the moment he, he grabs a hold of that knife, it's a quick, that's how I make decisions too. I'm not going to sit and think about it because once he told me to do it, just do it. And so I, he grabs that knife and he starts coming down and the angel stops him. I would imagine there was even a supernatural flow to where even his arm probably even stayed the process. And verse 12, he says, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. <clears throat> do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your only you'll keep reading in that moment the angel reveals that there is a ram caught in a thicket God's already provided a sacrifice and so he goes and he takes his boy off it they get the ram and they make a sacrifice another if you will extension of what it is to worship and to value our God what I love about this whole understanding of the first time worship is laid out for us in scripture it's not beautiful it's not enjoyable not artistic and sweet and precious with beautiful air conditioning 
to keep our body temperatures at the right space, to keep the sweat from our brow. This is gritty. This is dirty. This is tough. This is, this is emotional. This is, this is like, God, are you, is this really you? I, it doesn't really sound like modern worship a whole lot, does it? It doesn't really talk about the, I don't hear any harps playing in the background. And then Moses raises the knife. No baseline. Oh, no, 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 no. And he raised the knife. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, it's out there raw. There's nobody around. The abandonment, the feeling of like, what am I doing? Have I lost my mind? See, real worship, what it should do is position you and posture you in a place where you can go deeper in your relationship with Jesus so that you can be transformed into his image. That's what real worship is supposed to do. It's supposed to be this engagement with my God that I'm becoming, I'm coming into relationship with him. I'm having a relational engagement through this process of showing him worth and value. And sometimes it looks like being obedient in Walmart and praying for that little lady. And other times it looks like not hitting that thing that you just typed out to your boss in an email and not sending that trash. Sometimes it looks like you're driving down the highway and you're on I-35 and a bunch of crazy people decided to go driving today. And instead of cussing them up one side and down the other, you throw up your hands and you just say, Jesus, I love you. I Jesus, I love you. You're amazing. I'm trusting that you're good. I bless that person who needs to get a new driver's license or at least take some driving class. Oh, God, I declare your goodness. Come on, are you tracking with me? Say yes. When you get that phone call, when you get that text message that makes you want to get in the truck and go beat somebody down, worship looks like, you know what? I will decide here and now to do what the Word of God says. And instead of hating my enemies, I will pray for those who despitefully use me and abuse me. I will worship. I will give God the value of what he said that I'm supposed to do. And in that, that's an engagement in relationship. And, and what we see in Abraham is he followed God up the mountain. God didn't abandon him, but he said, I will go with you. I'll show you where to go. And so as he's walking for three days, he sees that space. What shows him that? God says, there it is. There's a mountain. Okay, Lord, I see that now. And he gets up on the side of that thing, and he's about to kill this kid. He has all intention of killing this young man. And God himself, who's been with him the whole time, stops him and says, hold, hold on. Good job. I see in you that you love me and you value me more than the precious gift that I've given you. This is worship. What do you value? And how do you give it worth? And who do you give worth to? See, I've watched people worship their children more than they worship their God. I've watched people love their job and the prominent position that God gave them more than they worship the God who gave it to them. And God is checking this. So when we see worship laid out for the first time in Scripture, it's not laid out by way of songs, singing poems to God. It's a beautiful part of worship. We have an entire book of psalms, songs that David wrote half of them and others. It's singing to God and declaring his goodness and, and literally singing doctrine and theology and, and declaring the truths about God even in their brokenness. That's not what the original moment of worship looked like. The original moment of worship looked like daily life and the difficulty therein. So I want to give you kind of four truths that I'm finding from this passage of worship that builds our relationship with God. Because all of this is about building a relationship. Abraham went a whole other level deeper in that relationship. All of you have, uh, those of you that are married, and those of you that maybe aren't married but have best friends, 
you know what it is to develop a relationship. You start with an introduction. You don't really know each other that well. You don't know anything about each other, but you feel drawn to them. And I think that's how a lot of us come to Christ. We feel drawn to him, and we're smart enough to say, I don't want to spend forever in hell. So, look, I'll get some fire insurance. Let's do this. But what happens is if your relationship stays there and it never builds any deeper, then ultimately that's not enough to stay together with. You know what I'm talking about? I I see lost people, non-Christians all the time, talking about how they came together because the the intimacy was so good. But then when the intimacy is not so good, they don't keep the relationship. Or because they had a kid together, they had no intentions of spending forever together, but they had a kid together, and so the kid brought them together. So then what happens is when that kid is no longer in that house, they have no relationship and they have no reason to stay together. A lot of people, I I picture that a lot of us, how we come to God. We come to God through a tragedy. We come to God through a difficult moment. We come to God because it's just a smart thing to do. But friend, if you never let the layers of that relationship build and build and build, then what happens is you look up one day and you're defunct and you're like, there's no relationship here. I went to church, I gave my tithe, and I don't know God. And I don't enjoy church and I don't enjoy the Christian. And the moment that some other Christian who's on their little journey and hadn't quite got it all together, the moment they offend you or the pastor who's not a perfect person says, something does something that doesn't exactly sit right with you you walk away from God why because you never had a true deepened relationship to begin with you started with something good you started with some good motives but the relationship never developed are you tracking with me say yes so it is my job to help you learn to grow deeper in this relationship and we do that through say it with me worship that's how we deepen it so we get to know him it's how he says go left we go "Mm." (laughs) I don't know if I want to go left Lay that gift down. Mm, but you gave me that gift. So let me teach you as I see, if you will, the kind of worship that builds a real relationship with God. Number one, it starts and is involved with surrender. It's, it, 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 it involves surrender. If you're going to have a worship relationship that builds this thing with you and God, it's going to start with surrender. It's going to start with you saying, yes, Lord, I'll give it back. I mean, when we open up with this thing, it says, verse 1 again, chapter 22, sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied, take your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And he says, it doesn't record it verbally, but he says, yes. How do we know he says yes? Because the next morning, early in the morning, he got up and he started doing it. It starts with a surrender. It starts with this, this, it's involved in a daily surrender is what I've learned to do as a sacrifice of my love for him. I want whatever he wants, so I surrender my will. Here's the crazy part about how he made us. He gave all of us what we call free will. It makes no sense to me. If I'm God, I'm going to make you all robots. You're going to do what I want, when I want, how I want it to do. But God created in you free will. You can choose him. You cannot choose him. You can accept him. You can reject him. You can dive in deeper into a relationship. You can have a shallow relationship. He gives us free will, this free will. And then to be in a deep relationship with him, just like you and I who are married. I've been married now going on 29 years. 29, we're at 29, right? And let me tell you something. There's been a lot of surrender of my will. I have a dog to prove it. I have goats to prove it. But how much of her will has she surrendered 
to be able to be in relationship with me. Things that she would want to do. But she loves me more than she loves getting her way. I love her more than I love getting my way. And this is why certain marriages don't work past about the seven-year point because they make it seven years and they're like, Look, I'm just tired of surrendering stuff. Like, it's my time. My time. That's why you see the same thing in Christianity. People get somewhere around that three, four, five, six, seven-year mark and they're like, oh, no, I ain't doing that for God no more. I want my time. Because I'm watching everybody get their time. Look at them. Like, they getting their time. When do I get my time? And so we stop, if you will, surrendering to deepen this relationship. And what worship really looks like, it looks like this surrender of, Lord, I, or whatever you want, Jesus. I just, and real worship is costly, right? Real, it's costly. It, you got to give up sometimes, position, prestige, whatever. I'll never forget, I was, um, uh, you, you know, Mimi and Pop, um, once we got radically saved and transformed, they thought, hey, the best thing we could ever do for Adam is put him in a Christian, private Christian school. Because that'll help him, you know, be a stronger Christian. And so I went from being wicked, lost, radically saved, to in a Christian school to be carnal. Because I learned how to be carnal with all these kids who didn't really want to serve God because they were at a Christian school. Because that's where their mom and dad put them so they wouldn't be bad. But the problem is, James says it's our own evil desires that drag us into temptation. So trying to keep your kid from being around bad people to make them bad is foolishness. Bad is what's within us. As a fallen, as a fallen nation, as a fallen people... Sin is in us at birth. We have a sin nature. So what you have to teach your child to do is deal with their own sin nature. And that way they can be around the most wicked people in the world and say, I ain't doing drugs with y'all. I know my Jesus. I don't need that. I have something. But, but if you don't teach them how to deal and crucify their own sin nature and you try to protect them from all the bad people, ultimately they become the bad person because they've got evil in them. Just like you and I have evil in us. Are you tracking? Say yes. Say yes. I know you don't like it, but it's good stuff. And so mom and dad put me in this Christian school. <clears throat> and so I just started kind of hanging out like all of them. And they would have this chapel every week, and in the middle of chapel, everybody around me, I was on fire for God, I love Jesus. And I started hanging out with all these Christians. I'm going to Christian school. We got prayer every class. You think that would be magnificent? And after a while, none of them in the middle of chapels would raise their hands, so I wouldn't raise my hand. And then they were like, oh, my God, this is so stupid. I'm like, yeah, this is so stupid. <laughs> Passing notes. Remember notes before we had phones? <laughs> Passing notes like, oh, how many more songs are they going to and so I did that, all <clears throat> from eighth grade all the way to my senior year, <clears throat> excuse me, all the way to my junior year. My junior year, something happened. Um, God got a hold of me at a retreat. That's why, uh, thank you all for helping our young people do their retreats and getting a hold of God. Thank you for helping. If you see a young person that needs some financial support, please get behind them so they can go encounter God. I encountered God at one of these things, and he rocked my world. And I went back to my little Christian school, and I said, I'm going to serve God. I don't care what any of you guys think. And so, boy, then all the teachers were excited because now I went from being the guy who destroyed their class to the guy who actually helped a little bit. <clears throat> and so, and so um, I'll never forget one particular chapel, and our chapels were terrible. We, you know, one little guy on a guitar, one teacher, <clears throat> that nerdy teacher that nobody likes anyway, and he'd get up and lead worship. Lord, I lift your name on high. Come on, everybody. Lord, I love seeing your praises. Come on, you got it. And we're all like. And so that particular Wednesday during the day chapel, he comes to me before chapel, and I've just really gotten on fire for God. He goes, Adam, hey, I need you to, uh, I need you to come up here and back up sing for me. <clears throat> I'm like, I'm sorry? <laughs> I want you to be a junior in high school, back up singing on stage in front of all your friends that y'all have teased to worship because it's so terrible. And now he wants me to come help. And, uh, and I, I can sing a little bit. I'm not a professional singer or anything like that, but I can, you know, carry my own. A little bit, and, uh, and so, and I, I'm telling you, he said, listen, 
I thought God's changed you. He said, yes, well, I need you. And you need to, your, your friends need to see how much you love Jesus. Oh, yeah. All right, so I get up there, you know. He starts singing, Lord, I lift your name on high. And I was like, Lord, I lift your name on high. And all my friends are like, And so then they go into this fast song. And the poor little guy leading worship, again, one of our teachers, you know, he's he's single guy, he's on fire for God, you know, he don't care what anybody thinks. And he starts dancing with his guitar. And, he's like, and all of a sudden I hear the Lord say, I want you to dance for me. I said, I bind every high thought that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. I ain't about to do that in front of my peers. Like, I'm, not, I'm, I'm barely standing on this stage. Any second, I may go running out. I mean, any moment, I am not doing that. <clears throat> and, uh, and I'm arguing with God. I'm like, no, I ain't doing that. God's like, you need, I need you to, do you love, and the Spirit of the Lord's like, do you love your God? I'm like, yes, I love God. Well, then worship him with all that you have. I am worshiping with all I got right now. Right now, it's just staying on this stage. is a whole lot. Somebody in heaven needs to tell God how much this is worth. This is valuable. This is the most I got to give right now. And I hear the Lord, and then all of a sudden, I hear the Lord say, I thought you wanted me to trust you with the deep things. And you won't surrender your position of coolness. Because we always were talking about, oh, you just gave up your cool points right there, dude. You just gave up all your cool points by doing that. And I'm thinking, this is a lot of cool points I'm about to let go of. And so I said, okay, God. So I, I, I mean, I all but super glue my eyelids closed. And I just start. Now, you got to understand, in those days, the way they worship and they dance, they didn't dance cool like we do now. They would do this thing. They'd do this little hop thing. So, you know, it was this thing like that. And I'm like, man, I ain't doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I hadn't been saved that long. So, you know, I was still doing the electric, you know, I was still spacewalking, you know, and that kind of stuff. And so, so anyway, ah, I'm so, so I just close my eyes and I just start jumping up and down. I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. And the more I let go of me, and I just, I can see it in my mind. They're, 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 all my friends are like, <laughs> I just could see them. They're all mocking me, and I know, but I don't care because I love you, Jesus. I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. You're more valuable than how cool I think I am. Your worth is more that valuable than anything that anybody could ascribe to me. I'm going to give you every bit of my affection. As I, I'm listening, and, and I could hear this thing is revving up. They're like even dancing more. I'm like, yeah, when's this song coming to an end? So then I start all into Jesus, and I finally have enough guts to open my eyes, and the whole place is dancing. I was like, and he said, see, when you surrender, when you surrender to me, I can do big things. You in my hand is something great. You without my hand is worthless. <clears throat> Worship starts, this deepening of a relationship starts with surrender. Lord, what do you want? What do you want? You want my car? You want my car? That's yours. When we pick up that home, that's yours. I surrender. This is what worship looks like. Abraham said, okay, God. The gift you gave me, I surrender it back to you. Brings me to number two. Worship that builds our relationship with God then also involves action. I don't know why, it depends on what type of group you came from, 
Some of you think that worship is this intellectual engagement privately, quietly to yourself. I do think there is a beautiful part of engagement with God that is retrospective. It's, it's, uh, it's communing, if you will, quietly engaging with the Lord. But there's this portion of worship that seems to get missed by some, and that is there's action involved in it. Look what it says. It says, and he got up the next morning. He gets up early. If, listen, if you don't want to do something, you don't get up early. I can always tell people who really want to be at Hill City, they're the first ones here. Everybody else is like, ah, my wife makes me come. I got here. It's 15 minutes, so I made enough of it. You think about when you really don't want to be at something, you do all you can to drag your feet not doing it. Abraham gets up early. I don't know why. It's only in Scripture because it's making a point that he put action to his heart plan of worship, that he acted. Worship has action. When we're worshiping at our time together and praising our God, I throw my hands up, not because I'm trying to impress you. I want him to know. You don't just have my mind. You don't just have my heart. You got my body. You got my hands. You got my mouth. You got my feet. I don't care if I look stupid. You are worth every bit of it, and I will act upon whatever action I need to give you to prove your worth. And so he acts upon it. He puts a action in place. He starts, he gets up early. He cuts the wood. So you got a 120-year-old dude out there chopping wood at 3 a.m. in the morning, 4 a.m. in the morning, by lantern light. Sun probably hadn't even come up yet. Then he goes and wakes everybody up and says, come on, we're going on a journey. Let's go. He loads it all up. He loads up the caravan. I mean, he gets that whole thing loaded up himself. He is acting. He's acting. It's you know, I just, I love the Lord, brother. I love the Lord. Yeah, but you act so much differently with your football and your basketball stuff than you do in the way you love your God. And so I determined years ago, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to outshout, I'm not going to shout louder at the Cowboys winning than I am at Jesus winning every day. I'm going to give him every bit of my physical capacity. Because he's worthy of it. And when I do that, can I tell you, I don't, it's hard to explain how the relationship deepens. It's amazing. That's what we're talking about. How do I get you in a deeper relationship with God? How do you get in a deeper relationship? I don't want you to be divorced three years down the road from Jesus. I don't want you to be, uh, just dried up. You know, the love's not there anymore. That's because you didn't worship and you never deepened the relationship past the fact that it was a good idea not to go to hell. Or it was a, I was in a real tragic moment and I needed help. I want to get you into a real relationship that grows and matures. And so he cuts the wood. He loads up the donkey. He rallies the truth. Abraham is giving himself as an act of worship to the Lord with every bit of his physical capacity. He is worshiping through his pain. The night before, God tells him, kill your son. And he goes, yes, sir. And he is chopping that wood. He's worshiping through his pain. It's amazing how often modern Christians, the moment they get in pain, they stop worshiping. They stop engaging with God. And they sit there like a spoiled little kid, like, if you really want to help me, you're going to have to come help me. I'm over here mad at you, and you have to initiate helping me. Listen, worship is, I don't like it, I don't feel it, 
it's painful. I've got a terrible thing happening over here with my kids. I've got a horrible thing happening over here at work. But you are still worthy of all my praise, adoration. You get all my love. I will, act, I will still love them. I will still act on that. I will still be obedient to you in this. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. I tithe no matter where we're at financially. It's an act of worship. It's not because I want the church to like me. It's not because I'm trying to get a little favor from God. He told me to do it. It's an act of worship. I give it. It's his. It's an action plan for me and Jamie. We give it no matter what, no matter what's going on. It is my action of love and worship towards him. Are you still there? Say yes. All right, you got to move fast. Here's number three. Talking about how you and I can worship, what practical worship looks like that builds this relationship. And that is involves, number three, it involves a supernatural trust. A supernatural trust. I just have a hard time trusting the Lord. Well, that's right. You've got to get to a place where you understand who he is so that you can engage in supernatural trust. And what I love about God is that he breadcrumbs it. He didn't start with, hey, I want you to kill your, your, your only child. He starts with, hey, I need you to, I want you to come follow me to a land that, you're not, that you don't know. Come out of your comfort. And then as he follows him, he blesses his crops. He, excuse me, he blesses his herds. And they keep growing. And he becomes wealthy. The Bible says that Abraham was rich in gold, cattle, and silver. So as he brought him out of safety and comfort with his land, with his family, where he's from, he began to bless him more. He began to bless, and he said, oh, I can trust you. Wow, look what God does when I trust him. Look what God does when I follow him. Look what God does. And he begins to, he begins to breadcrumb him all the way to this spot, which is a whole other deeper level. Will you trust me at this level to kill the very thing that I gave you that was the promise of the nation to come through you, then through Isaac, and through his children and his grandchildren? Will you trust me at that level? And he goes, yeah, I will. And I love this whole conversation in verse 7 and 8 where he says, hey, Dad, um, where is the uh, lamb? The sacrifice. And I love his response. He knows exactly in his head what he's going to do. Can you imagine? If, I bet Abraham's a lot like me. I picture what I'm going to do before I do it. It's one of the key things that peop, uh, people who are successful, they teach you. Uh, it's Tiger Woods, uh, one of the... What made him one of the greatest golfers, he said, is because he learned to imagine, to picture that ball going in the hole, where he was going to land it before he, ever even, before he ever even swung the club at it. He was just, he totally had a mental picture of what he was going to do, how he was going to accomplish it, the process by which to get there, backing it up three steps, looking it through four steps ahead. And I had a ba baseball coach teach me how to do that, what to do, playing shortstop, there's a man on first, there's two outs, ball is pop flight, it's this, and work through the scenarios before you ever get to it. He is working through the scenario. You know he is. He's working through the scenario, I'm going to stick that knife in his chest. Do I slit his throat? Do I stab him multiple times? Do I choke him out? Didn't really tell him how to sacrifice him. In the, the normal day way of sacrificing was a knife through the animal, but they would typically would slit their throat let him bleed out. Do I bleed him out? He's working this thing through. He's got three days, guys. He is walking for three days. Three days. He's thinking that thing through. He's replaying it over and over and over in his mind. And then his boy asks him after the third day as they're about to separate from the other guys. And he says, hey, Dad, um, I don't see the lamb. I, we, I, you got the fire. You got the wood. We got everything we need except for the main piece. And that is what we're going to sacrifice. And Abraham's response was so sweet. God will supply. But what I love about this whole supernatural trust is before he leaves these servants, he says to them, I'm going to leave you here, and me and my son, we're going to worship, and we will return. We 
will return. <clears throat> he declares, we go, God gave me this boy. God has a promise. This promise has to come through this boy. I don't know if, if God's going to raise him from the dead. I saw him resurrect my, my, my wife's womb. Her dead womb came to life. So I've never seen a human raised from the dead because it's never transpired up until this point. I've never seen God raise anybody from the dead. I know he resurrected my wife's womb, but I know this, that we are going to come back. Y'all wait here for us. We're going up on that mountain. We're coming back. I trust God that, you know what, his plans are good even though they seem bad in the moment. Even though I'm full of pain and I don't understand how this is going to happen, I trust God that he will never leave me or forsake me, that his plans for me are always yes and amen, that he's got a perfect plan for my life. Friend, when you and I come to the place that we start trusting him, that is worship. Lord, I worship you. I trust you that you're going to have this thing work out for my good. According to, Lord, your plans for my life, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. I love you. I'm called according to your purposes. So you're going to work this in some kind of way. It's going to be a beautiful testimony. It's going to be this beautiful, wonderful thing. I'll be able to tell about it 10 years from now. Right now, I don't even want to talk about it. Right now, I don't want anyone to know about it. But 10 years from now, I'm going to return with it. It's going to be alive. It's going to be beautiful. And they're going to say, wow, that is magnificent. And what I go through is going to help somebody else because I trust you, God, that your ways are higher than my ways and that you have a beautiful plan for my life and that you, at the end of the day, only want to do good to me because you call me a son. You call me a daughter. I am yours. And when you and I begin to worship him like that, that relationship gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And he goes, I can trust her. I can trust her to go through that. I can trust her. I can give her that wonderful, beautiful piece of life that I can't give anybody else. Abraham is considered the father of faith. You take him out of the equation throughout the scripture, and we do not have a new covenant. We do, what we have is the law of Moses, and we have an Old Testament relationship with God through these obedient principles and this, and this murdering of little animals. But Abraham began the whole thing. I'm going to walk with God, even a God I cannot see, and I'm going to do it by faith. And that's what the New Testament is built on. It is by faith that we are saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. Abraham started that whole process, and he is pointed back to, even in the New Testament, as the father of our faith. That's why in elementary school or in Sunday school back in the day, you sang, Father Abraham, have me. And you're like, why did we sing that? Why? Because he is the initiator of this faith engagement with God. And it takes faith to believe in a God that you cannot see. It takes faith to obey his word, even when it doesn't line up with culture. Come on, you with me? Say yes. This is the God we serve. And he trusts him. And it's an act of worship to say, Lord, I trust you, even though I don't like it. Hebrews 11 said it like this about Abraham, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Look at verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could raise him from the dead. God, I'll kill it because you can raise it from the dead. Because your promises are good. Some of you are so worried about a job. You're so worried about this situation with this relationship. I'm calling you into worship, God. And it involves a supernatural trust. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I'm getting evicted out of that house. Trust God. 
Lord, I trust you. I worship you. Thank you for this house that we had, but I know you got something better for me. It may be three steps back, but I know from that you'll launch me seven steps ahead because I trust you because you have my best interest in mind. And for all I know, I needed to get out of this scenario before my kids hooked up with those kids down the street and that neighborhood and became crackheads. So, oh Lord, whatever you, however you're leading, I'm following you. This, my friend, is what worship looks like. It's so much more than just, I love you, Lord, and I lift my hands. That's beautiful, too. It's a portion of it. There's so much more about this word worship, and you and I were made to worship. Brings me to my last and final piece, and you need to understand this really well, and that is this type of worship that builds a relationship with God, it always results in miraculous experiences. Always results in miraculous experience. There are many women in this room, you're a miracle, you should not be here. You should not be here. But you gave yourself to Jesus, you started trusting him, you began to worship him and give your life to him, and you are a miracle sitting here right here today. There are people who grew up in church who went crazy wicked, and you're back serving God with all of your heart, and you have this beautiful relationship with God. You are a miracle. You should not be, you should have been dead in that club. You should have been dead in that house when that guy broke in and started shooting. You are a miracle. God's ways always end in some type of miraculous experience. For those who have a relationship with him, he always brings it around to miracles. God speaks. Abraham says, yes, sir, I'll go do it. I'll do it. I will worship you with my love, with my action, with my trust. Then God moves. (laughs) God does a miracle. And all of a sudden, as he's about to stick this thing down in his kid's chest, God speaks, stop! Yes, sir, I'll stop. Ooh, I didn't know how you were going to do it, but this is a good way. And he says, and I see in you that you value me, worship, you value me more than you value the gift that I gave you. And in that moment, his attention is thrown to a ram that is stuck in a thicket. I don't know about you, but I've never been hunting and found a deer stuck in a thicket. Never have. Never been fishing and found a fish stuck on the bank waiting for me to just pick it up. God put that ram there. And I like how Dr. Tony Evans said it. He said it like this. While Abraham walked up one side of the mountain with his problem, God had arranged it so that the other side of the mountain was coming his answer. As he's coming up this side with his problem... God sending a ram up this side and getting him caught in a thicket. You need to know this. God will take care of those who serve him, who worship him, who call him their God and give all of the worth and value of their lives to him and ascribe it to him. This is what worship looks like. Would you stand with me quickly across the room? Hill City, we're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today, and I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week, wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684, and uh, we want to respond, and again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock and 11. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.